0: From the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argo's podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argo's podcast brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. My name is Ben Grant. I am not joined by JB today. It's only the second time since we started doing podcasts together that we're not able to to meet up for this one. Unfortunately, JB's under the weather. He's lost his voice, which is, as it turns out, pretty detrimental to a podcast host. So, yeah, I, I I waited as long as I could. We're recording in the middle of the night. I thought maybe, just maybe, his voice would be good enough to give this a go, but it wasn't to be. So, yeah, here we are in the middle of the night. I know the show is is always better with him, so I wanted to try and wait it out uh, for for your sakes but you are stuck with just me. Doesn't matter though, we got a huge show today. We've got roster cuts to talk about. We're also gonna talk about the way the practice roster shaped up and kind of who we're looking at as the Argos starting group heading into the season. Plus, Jamal Peters was released by the Atlanta Falcons and that stirred up a lot in uh, social media, especially Argo's social media, but other teams getting in on the mix as well because there was some uncertainty about his contract status. We'll talk about that. I wanna get into a piece that Dave Naylor did uh, on Chad Kelly and Jim Kelly, which I thought was so well done. And so we'll get into that too. Plus the uh, top 50 was released by TSN. You can find that on TSN on the CFL website. The top 50 CFL players to look for in 2023. uh, I had a hand in that one. And so I wanna talk about some of the Argos that were chosen, maybe a couple that might've been missed. uh, And that's uh, uh, coming up a little bit later. And we've got a new segment that we're debuting called Put Me Down for 20. Plus, we've got our first CFL picks of the year because it is the first week of the CFL regular season, even though the Argos don't have a game. A ton to talk about. We'll get right to it. All that and more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Before I get into things, I want to talk about something in the water brewing. So I've got the Pancake Bay uh, Sweet Brunch Stout on the go here. You've you've seen me with this one before. This is this is my second favorite. Uh, it's and actually it will be bumped to third as soon as Longboat Pale Ale comes out. To be honest, but this this beer here it's a fantastic breakfast stout. Uh, came second in the entire world in a stout competition in England. Uh, And yeah, it's just a, a thing of beauty. The Hazy Maitland, for me, just beats it out. I like that Hazy IPA thing. And so it's often between one of those two. But the one that, of course, trumps all of them, Longboat Pale Ale, which is coming out very soon. The beer that was made for the fans of the Double Blue, the beer that was made because of a chance encounter with Darius Bladeck. We're going to be talking about that beer a lot in the coming weeks because it's it's almost time. It's almost out. So be sure to check out Something in the Water Brewing and located also in Kingston. Of course, they are in Liberty Village, but they do have a Kingston location. And I was reminded of that this week uh, when someone wrote to me and said, hey, that you know, that that um, brewery that sponsors your show you know, they have a location in Kingston and yes, I did know that. But uh, yeah, it was cool that, uh, yeah, he was just uh, driving through Kingston looking for a, a place to stop and and grab a drink or two. Um, I asked him what he tried. He said everything, which is always a good sign too. So yeah, check out Something in the Water Brewing. Roster cuts were made this past week none that were too shocking Uh, a couple that stood out a couple eyebrow raisers and of course the practice squad was formed too i always find it interesting when draft picks don't make the team and there are a couple here from there's one from this year a few from last year a few that have gone on the suspended list which usually means you're going back to school for another year But yeah, Richard Burton was one that stood out to me. He was the sixth round pick of the Argos this year. And there were a lot of teams that I had heard were pretty high on Richard Burton out of Queens. And watching him at camp, I thought, you know, he didn't look out of place by any means. It's just, that's kind of what you get when you've got a roster as strong as what the Argos roster is right now. It's, It's a really good team. And it doesn't necessarily, I think, I think people forget sometimes, probably not you listening to this podcast, but I think a lot of CFL fans forget how good this Argos roster is. And that's something I'm going to talk about a bit later when we get into the top 50 players in the CFL. Because the thing is, the Argos don't have as many stars as a CFL team of this caliber often does. You look at Winnipeg, you see stars all over the place. And and I get that. There, There are. Toronto's got a really solid team with a ton of depth. And so a player like Richard Burton, a receiver, he was just up against it from from the get-go because he was going to have to beat out established guys like, like Tommy Neal and and Dejan Brissett. And that's just, uh, it, it's a pretty tough thing to do for a rookie coming in out of Queens. And so he was let go. Um, a couple picks from last year, actually three draft picks from last year, Enoch Laye, Chase Arsenault, uh, Michael Pizzuto, I want to talk about Penny Lawyer first. I I was surprised at this one because he was a, what I felt, a solid special teams contributor that had potential for growth. He had such good speed for his size. And I just felt like if he could continue to build, he, he had mistakes last year. There's no question, but I felt if he could continue to build that, There was real promise in his game. So that one did surprise me a little bit. And being a third round pick from last year, a bit more value. Uh, Chase Arsenault, seventh round pick from last year. Michael Pizzuto, eighth round pick from last year. Those, Those make sense. That's what often happens when you get to seventh round picks, eighth round picks. Even in the CFL, honestly, even once you get to five. But it's just been so... It's been so filled with hits over the last few years for the Argos, you just, you don't expect to see it. And so that I think was a little bit surprising. And then there were some players who were released that, not that I didn't see coming maybe, but... That still made me raise an eyebrow. And the biggest eyebrow raise was Mario Vilmazar, the fullback at a Laurier who had been playing with the BC Lions. I raved about his special teams play when the Argos made this signing. And I stand by that. He's a really good special teams player. And I know Coach Dinwiddie doesn't use fullbacks the same way that a lot of previous Argos coaches and other coaches around the league use fullbacks. I get that. And probably when you look at like Spencer Nichols, basically the, the only fullback left on the active roster, it's just not a position they were going to go heavy with. And Villamizar, for as good as he looks on special teams, I think they probably just decided there will go with the, the younger, cheaper option, um, is my guess. And the other contributing factor is that Toronto actually did look pretty good at the things Villamizar does well. Uh, During the preseason, because we talked about the reason for bringing him in here, kickoff return coverage, uh, sorry, kickoff return blocking and punt return blocking. He's great at those two things. And he's also, um, it's it's also something that they found uh, worked pretty well with some other guys. And so on kickoff return, they had Villamazar playing in in BC, they had Villamazar playing opposite the returner. But uh, we saw Darius Pickett. Uh, very capable of doing that job. It didn't stand out in the first preseason game because Hamilton decided just to kick it to him, basically to mess with Toronto. But against Ottawa, when they went with a more conventional style, kicking into to the, the guy who's straight away, instead you saw Pickett with a couple hellacious blocks. And that really sealed that position, I think, for Darius Pickett and made it easier to move on from a guy like Mario Villamazar. Another release, uh, Demontre Moore... This was more sad than surprising. It it didn't shock me. It's a positional group. The defensive line for Toronto is so strong. I just feel bad for DeMontre Moore because he's a really good caliber American defensive lineman. And he came in last season. I was expecting big things from him. He was injured. It was a pretty serious injury just minutes into his first game i think that one was in ottawa as i recall and yeah he couldn't have had worse luck with that and worked his way back rehabbed his way back finally was was healthy i don't know for sure if he ever got back to the form he was in prior to the injury in ottawa but uh, to see him let go is sad I, i don't have a problem with it from a roster building standpoint because the argos just have so many viable options on the defensive line it's it is I was, again, I've done this before too. I was going to say it's their deepest positional group, but then you just look at the linebacker room and you're like, oh yeah, except, except for the linebacker room. But that was a little bit surprising. Uh, Keith Washington, another guy I was kind of surprised by. I like Keith Washington. He's a good corner. And it surprised me because I just don't see the Argos as having a lot of corners. We are talking about Robert Priester as the starting boundary corner, which I'm fine with, but his injury status has him still a little bit up in the air at this point. And Caleb Holden played a little bit of boundary corner in the game against Ottawa, but he was released as well, which is another one of my eyebrow raisers. And so at the moment, it's Quantes Stiggers, who I think is great, but that's a lot to ask from the kid. He's I I don't want to say he's not ready yet because there are certainly starting corners out there in the CFL that I don't think are as good right now as Quantez Stiggers. I just think with as deep as this team is and the options they had, I felt like they were going to find a way to have Quantez sit and learn for a little while before having to jump in there. But we'll see. Maybe Maybe the injury to Robert Priester is not as bad as we think. Maybe he's going to be out there in their first game in week two. Uh, that remains to be seen. But yeah, that was an interesting one with Caleb Holden. and a, a curious combination. Lonnie Moore was also released. And I did see this coming. I didn't see it coming after the, the double blue scrimmage. I thought for sure after the double blue scrimmage. Man, he looked good out there. But he just wasn't able to replicate that against the live reps that we saw in Hamilton or in Guelph against Ottawa. He basically disappeared in those two games. And you had American players that, it just made sense. BJ Bird ended up, I think, you know, when you kind of look at how this roster was constructed, it seems like BJ Bird was the guy that they kept over Lonnie Moore. And so, um, yeah, he was released as well. And then the last guy I wanted to talk about as sort of a notable, uh, of course, is Ben Holmes. This is another sad one too because I don't feel like I don't feel like what we saw in the two games, uh, two preseason games that Ben Holmes played. I don't feel it was an accurate representation of what he can do. That said, it was the only decision the Argos could make. I just don't think there was anything there. I said that on our on our uh, post game reaction podcast after the Ottawa broadcast that it was probably going to be him left as the odd man out and i just don't know what else you can do when and i know the argos have seen him just like we have in in practice over the last year he looks great but ultimately you have to see it on the field and one thing i go back to i want to bring you back to uh second last was the second last game or last game in the last game of the regular season in 2022 where toronto had already clinched uh, the east they were playing montreal at home And basically, all the starters sat, or at least most of them sat. And Chad Kelly was set to play most of the game. Ben Holmes was, we heard, possibly coming in late in the game. And I feel like that might have been an opportunity for him. I think if he comes in that fourth quarter of that game and plays well, maybe it puts him in a little bit of a different space coming into this preseason. But that game got close. Coach Dinwiddie, I think correctly wanted to see what Chad Kelly could do in a close situation, maybe thinking that he might need him down the road, maybe in a playoff game, maybe maybe in the Grey Cup in the fourth quarter. And so he let Chad Kelly finish it out. And obviously that turned out to be the right move. But I think for Ben Holmes, that might have been a missed opportunity, which just through the butterfly effect uh, ends up leading to his release. But yeah, based on the way he played with three picks in two games, it's not his style at all. And that's that's why I say it was not really, not really a typical outing for, for Ben Holmes, but I think it was the right call. The other quarterbacks played better in real football games or as real as the preseason can be. So so he was released as well. But yeah, those are the, those are the ones that stood out. And of course, they uh, you probably saw the announcement as well. They re-signed center Braden Knoll, fourth round pick from last year. I think that's a good move too. He really showed some progress through it last season. I was disappointed to see that he was released earlier in camp. And uh, I, I thought, you know, if there's a way they can bring him back, I, I think that would be a value because he is learning that center spot and he's and he's making progress. I think you, you can certainly see the difference. So he was uh, signed and then moved to the practice squad. Let's get into what this roster is starting to look like. So at quarterback, we've got the three names all on the active roster as it stands right now Chad Kelly is is going to be the starter there's no question there was never any question about that no matter what anyone said Brian Scott probably is the number 2 although no depth chart has been released by the Argos at this point Cameron Dukes is the number three, and I think that's the perfect spot for him. I would also, if you're going with all three guys on the active roster, he's got to be your short yardage guy. He's magic with the ball in his hands. I love him as a runner, but he's a runner who can pass too and who can make something happen, make something out of nothing. He reminds me a little bit of some of the stuff we saw in Chad Kelly when they put in the short yardage package last year. Chad was exciting in that package. He had all sorts of things going on. I think we could see similar things from Cameron Dukes. I'd rather see him in that role than than Brian Scott in that role, even though I do think Scott should be the number two. For running backs, I, I don't know who they're going to call the starter. I kind of think Andrew Harris just just because it's Andrew Harris, will be called the starter. I expect A.J. Olette to receive more snaps than Harris does. And then Dan Atababoye, Javon Leak, Spencer Nichols from the fullback spot. That kind of rounds at the backfield. And they do have Deontay McMahon as a practice squad player, practice roster player in the running back position. I thought he would make the active roster. And I want to talk about how this... Uh, why this was probably made, why this move was probably made to keep Deontay McMahon on the practice roster instead of someone like Javon Leek. There's a couple of reasons that go into this uh, and there are some contract related, et cetera. But I think the thing is, with practice rosters in the CFL, they're surprisingly hard to raid, And I, I don't mean that it's it's not difficult to do. You can go and sign somebody that's on another team's practice roster. As long as you put them on your active roster, that's fine. The thing is, you are you're getting into a fight that you might not want to get in because there seems to be a sort of and it's not even that it's an unwritten code. I, I, I don't feel like it's it's like an agreement of any sort. It's not really like that. It's just it's just common sense. If you go and steal somebody else's practice roster player that's obviously going to upset them because this is a guy from their system who knows their stuff, who they are trying to build and work to the active roster. And guess what's going to happen the moment you go and steal somebody else's practice roster player? Guess what's happening to someone on your practice roster? And so unless it's a sure thing, that's not something you're going to see teams go out of their way to do. It's just to... It's a fight that there's no sense getting into, not for someone that isn't proven. And I think with Deontay McMahon, while I really want him on the active roster, while I think he could have a higher ceiling than Javon Leek, who I really like, we don't know for sure. And so if we don't know, and if if I don't know, if the Argos don't know for sure, then other teams definitely don't know for sure. And so it's not somebody that they're going to risk taking off a practice roster, in my mind. That's how I see that happening. So that's why I think he was put in that spot. And this buys them this buys them some time. He can grow, he can learn, he can get better at special teams because he's gonna need to. If he's gonna at some point take over a running back spot from Javon Leek, he's gonna have to be better at special teams because that is leak's value. He's great at it. We know how good he has, he is at that. And you can't be the second american running back on the toronto argonauts if you're not good at special teams just plain and simple for the wide receivers this we don't know i'm gonna guess here at the starting five for this and then we'll kind of go through who else is on the roster devaris daniels curly gittins jr Keith ambles are locks to be starters they're definitely starting I personally think we're going to end up seeing Cam Phillips and Demonte Coxie as the other two. I think they're just going to go with one Canadian starting receiver in Curley Giddens Jr. I think the rest will all be Americans and I think it will be those specific Americans. Phillips and Coxie were pretty big contributors last year, Phillips especially, uh had some huge games last year. He was he was really important in a couple uh, a couple games where he got uh, got touchdowns the I believe the two games against Uh, the Rough Riders last year. And in terms of contribution and playoffs, great cup. I just think Cam Phillips, he makes sense as a starter, at least to begin the year until you can measure maybe a little bit more clearly. But I I think he belongs. I like him. I think he's a good quality receiver. He was never on the bubble for me. I know JB had talked about that a little bit, not being sure. Uh, I think he absolutely belongs. DeMonte Coxy, I go back to... I go back to the game in Ottawa last year where Coxie just put on an absolute show and you saw a little bit of what he can do. He is a physical receiver and I, I absolutely believes he belong, believe he belongs in the starting five. I think the one thing I don't like about it is that he's an outside guy and I know that Coach Dinwiddie doesn't know that we've been fighting about this because it's not a fight to him. But Coach Dinwiddie and I have been fighting in my mind about this over the last year. I want Devaris Daniels on the outside. I think he's better there. And I want to find a W who is a natural slot receiver. And Coasey's not that guy. But I just feel like there's got to be a way. You have to find a way to make this happen. Like if I had these starting five, I would have Devaris Daniels as my ex on the outside. I'd have Markeith I, uh, Ambles as the W. Then I would go with Cam Phillips on the inside, Curly Gittins Jr. in the middle to the field. And then Demonte Coxie I'd put as my Z outside wide. And I don't think they're going to end up running it like that. I think they're going to end up with Curly as the Z on the outside like he was in his breakout season of, of 2021. So that's my thought and how we're going to see those guys lined up. Running out the rest of the positional group, Uh, Dejan Brissett makes it. uh, Tommy Neal makes it. David Ungerer makes the three Canadians. Not really surprising. Those guys, you just really don't want to leave them on the practice squad. They're known quantities. They're Canadians. They have additional value because of that. I, and I think they're in their spots, too. Tommy Neal had a great camp. David Ungerer looked fantastic, I, I thought, in both preseason games. And Dejon Brissett showed what a value he can be as a red zone target, not just in the double blue scrimmage, but in Hamilton with that just catch of the year, uh, candidate catch that he made for the two-point convert. Uh, and he was uh, a player against Ottawa as well. He had a was it, a 45-yard gain uh, from, from Chad Kelly, so he certainly earned his way onto this roster. And then you've got Jeremiah Heydel and BJ Bird, who are on the practice squad. I want to clear some, clarify something for Jeremiah Heydel. This is my third variation of saying his name. This is directly from him now so was jeremiah hadel which i had been calling him previously because that was also from him but i think maybe we as the media misheard that and the most recent rendition i've got of this is jeremiah hadel and so i'm going to be calling him that as best as i can from now on i want to say everyone's name the way it's supposed to be said the way they want to say it and I make I make a mess of a lot of names. I really try hard not to. I'm going to try to burn this one back into my brain. Jeremiah Heydel, um is on the practice squad with BJ Bird. Uh, Heydel, we know, is a gifted returner. I think you need him back there. He can also step in and be an outside receiver. And so he's a bit more experienced insurance there. BJ Bird, new to the league, but we knew he would make this roster because he was uh, just a a highlight machine, a touchdown machine, two touchdowns against Hamilton, a touchdown against Ottawa. And so he's safely on the practice roster. And I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to see both of these guys at some point during the year uh, on, on game day. Let's move to the starting offensive line group, so look at the transaction page. They've got Darius Bladeck on uh listed as injured with an injury designation right now. I don't know the extent of that. I don't know how long that's going to be. And so I'm just going to assume let's say let's say he isn't ready to go for the opener. And I I don't know anything. He might well be. He might be perfectly fine by then, but let's just say he's not just based on that CFL transactions page. If that's the case, I'm pretty sure they go uh Dejon Allen at right tackle. Uh, Gregor McKellar at right guard. He played left side last year, but I think we really liked every everything that happened to the Argos run game when Ryan Hunter came and started playing left guard last year. So McKellar was was perfectly fine uh, playing left guard until Hunter's arrival. But I think he bounces over to the right side where we saw him in preseason. I think you've got Peter Nicastro at center, and then the aforementioned Ryan Hunter at uh, left guard. And then Isaiah Cage, who I think is going to be healthy and ready to go at left tackle. Uh, for the Argos opener. So I think that is your starting five. Then you've got Darius Siraco, backup center, and he can also play guard. And you can mix and match Nicastro and he, which we saw throughout camp as well. You've got Dylan Giffen, who also can do a little bit of both. He's, I, I, I like him better at guard, but we know he played tackle all through college. He's a flexible guy, as is Shane Richards, who's played some guard, most recently played tackle, and actually started at left tackle against ottawa and looked pretty good until the ankle injury we're hearing that it's not as serious an injury as it was originally feared maybe we're only talking a few weeks for this one so that'd be great to hear and Trevian tate who is going to start Uh, or sorry, who may start the year injured. He's like Bledek where he was added to that injury list. And we just don't know. We don't know what that means yet because uh, until the Argos have to start putting out daily practice reports, uh, we're going to be a little bit in the dark on that. And because they have a bye week right now, they don't need to do it. On the practice roster for the offensive line, Aaron Johnson, Braden Knoll. Really nice uh, pieces for your practice roster. I talked about Noel's development. It is working. He was getting better week by week last season. And, and it's so valuable when you can have a, a a good quality, not just backup, to have a third possibility at center um, is so valuable. And so Noel's going to continue to work there, I assume, in the capacity of center. Uh, Aaron Johnson, South Dakota State, um, he's... He's a player. He's pretty real, and he's a much bigger guy than I realized. Just seeing him in person uh, last week, uh, he is—he's pretty. He's a pretty big man, uh, as most of these guys are. But he really did stand out to me. Uh, I haven't seen enough of his play to really give him a solid evaluation. I heard great things about him in camp. I just didn't get enough one-on-ones for him. I didn't see enough reps where I was just focused and isolated on him. And I think that was one of the, one of the hardest things I noticed about doing the color commentary for the broadcast with Mike Hogan. I love doing that. I wouldn't trade that for anything, the experience that I got to do that with, with Mike in, in Ottawa. But both times I've done color commentary, I have struggled to see as many things in the game as I do when I'm just sitting in the press box uh, taking notes. It's just not the same thing. And so where I would have liked to have seen some more Aaron Johnson, it just didn't stand out to me. I couldn't absorb all that that was going on and talk somewhat intelligently about other things in the play. And so I I need to see a little bit more from him. I'm looking forward to doing that in the the first couple weeks of practice. Moving to the defensive side of the ball, I think the starters, I think they're going to start Robbie Smith on the edge. I think they should, too. And they're certainly paying him like a starter. We know that. I think it's Robbie Smith, Sean Oakman, uh, Dwayne Hendricks, and Flo Arimolade. I think those are your starting four. And there's such a strong group. There's such a strong group behind them. And I don't think they end up with any defensive lineman on the practice roster. It was just... The problem is, you couldn't. Because any defensive lineman you're going to put on the practice roster is better than uh, what other teams have on their active roster. And there's not much question. So it's just a waste at that point. So they kept as many as they possibly could. You've got Sam Achampong, Brandon Barlow, Jared Brinkman, the tank, Thomas Costigan, who, again, we know can can get into live action and is perfectly fine. Benoit Marion, same thing, Deontay Knight. These guys are all perfectly fine. I, I wouldn't have any hesitation about starting... For any of any four of those guys I just mentioned who are gonna be coming off the bench in my mind, you wanna start, you pick four. Pick four. Uh Benoit Marion, Deontay Knight, Thomas Costigan, Jared Brinkman, great, go for it. They're they're perfectly fine. I love the depth of that position. Linebacker, even more so. I think, I think Enoch Mwamba and Winton McManus start at linebacker. And I'm only gonna talk about the two linebacker spots. The cover linebacker, I'm no longer calling cover linebacker. I have resigned myself to for this season. I'm going to be calling them the dimebacker or just referring to them as a defensive back. So we'll get to that in a minute. The linebackers, Enoch Mwamba, Winton McManus. I think they both probably start. I think Jordan Williams plays more snaps than either one of those two guys, though, because I think he's the backup for both. And that gives them an advantage uh, from a Canadian positional standpoint. I'll get into that in a minute. But yeah, Mwamba comes off first, probably Jordan Williams comes in. McManus needs a breather. He comes out. Williams slides over to Will. In comes Enoch back at Mac again. That's It's just the perfect trio. And then backing them up, Jonathan Jones, who was sensational last year when he got in. Jack Kassar, who I've been high on from the word go. Trevor Hoyt, who's performed above everyone's expectations. He's been great. And so that's your. that is a very stout. Linebacker room. They've got Daniel Kwamu and Emmanuel Falola on the practice roster. Great spots for them both while they uh, get a bit more uh, familiarized with uh, CFL speed and style of play. Moving to the defensive backs. So starters, assuming Robert Priester is healthy, I think are going to be as follows. So Robert Priester to the boundary corner. Robertson Daniel to the boundary half. Royce Mechie on the top. Deshawn Amos uh, is your field side halfback, Tavares McFadden, the field side corner, Adarius Pickett is going to be your dime backer. That's assuming everyone's healthy. If Robert Priester can't go, as it stands right now, it's got to be Quantas Stiggers. I think he's got to start at boundary corner, which is such a big ask. I just think that's how it's going to work. And so the backups, Maurice Carnell, who we know is going to be injured for a little while yet Um, He's still probably got a few more weeks uh, before he returns. Jonathan Edward, Josh Haggerty, backup at safety. Qantas Diggers I talked about. Eric Sutton, who can play a few spots. I actually don't mind Eric Sutton at corner. And I don't mind him at Sam either. I don't like his size at all at Sam. But that guy has been doubted for his size in every level he's ever been in. And he's only proven people wrong. So those are the guys on the active roster. And then they've got JT Hassel um, as Isaiah King, Mason Pierce, uh, <laughs> Mason Pierce from the Colorado School of Mines, we talked about a lot, and Tiggy Sanko all on the practice roster, Tiggy Sanko, the global player. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a really nice defensive back group, but not the same strength that we saw from linebacker or defensive line. Specialists, Adam Guillemette at the long snapper, Boris Beattie, the kicker, John Haggerty, the punter uh alfredo gachuz the global player who is on the practice squad at the moment it's a nice setup with this rotation because if bd goes down gachuz comes in and he's the real deal as a kicker there's a drop off because it's boris Beattie we're talking about but not much gachuz is good if john Haggerty goes down for some reason boris Beattie probably does both duties or if he really wants to focus on one Beattie moves to punter, Gachuz comes up to kick. But I think they'd probably just go with Beattie in that scenario. And so that's your roster. And it works great from a construction standpoint. The way that I just went down through all of those players, that you're starting eight Canadians, but there are seven that are positional. So Andrew Harris is the eighth Canadian starter, but you're not treating running back as a Canadian position. So you don't need to keep a Canadian there. You can bring in A.J. Olette Javon League, It doesn't matter. The other seven, there's enough flexibility. The only one that was really a question for me was defensive line, but I'm pretty comfortable there knowing that just for you know, starting Robbie Smith, knowing that you can rotate in Sam Achampong or Benoit Marion, like that, that makes it pretty easy for me. So I, I think that's probably what opening day roster is going to look like once we've gone through all these cuts. And you have to excuse the silence. Normally, I, I only grab a drink when JB is talking. And with just me, there's no time to do that. So this, uh, yeah, this may have some, some what sound like awkward pauses. That is just me drinking. And for those of you watching on our YouTube channel, you can see it happening, so you likely weren't concerned. Let's get into the Jamal Peters release, because this is something that shook Argo's social media, and I didn't really know what to do with it at first, because I didn't know Jamal Peters' contract status. So Jamal Peters, all-star boundary corner from last year, all-star defensive back, one of the Argo's best players, led the CFL in interceptions, ended up signing with the Atlanta Falcons at the end of the CFL season last year was released by the Falcons yesterday Monday which is actually 2 days ago now because we are now into the wee hours of Wednesday but Jamal Peters was released by the Falcons it was always going to be tough for Peters without preseason action to prove himself because measurable wise I get why NFL teams are hesitant with him he doesn't have the the speed and the quickness that you typically see in NFL corners The problem I have with with, with that as an evaluation is that he makes up for it with length and with smarts, with anticipation. And I just don't think you can show that in practice and in drills, especially this early in camp where you've barely even had any contact. I think you're missing out on a lot of the things that Jamal Peters does best. I think the Falcons are making a mistake in letting him go. But They let him go. Is someone else going to pick him up? We're going to have to wait and see. And if I'm Peters, I have my agent calling every team and seeing if there's someone who will take a shot because I absolutely think he's worth it. If it doesn't work out, it could work out very nicely for the Argos. They've got that week one by. There's time for him to come in, acclimate himself to a system that he's already familiar with. And speaking of boundary corners, we don't know the status of Robert Priester, the timing couldn't be any more perfect. The one thing we weren't sure about was contract. Contract details in the CFL are too secretive for my liking. I, I wish it was more public. I wish it was more like it is in the NFL, where you just kind of know everyone's contract. Now, it's easy for me to say. It's not my financial statements that you're you're talking about in publishing, um, but it's just something that is pretty common with sports. You just know with, with every professional sport, whether it's hockey, baseball, football, basketball, you know the contract details. The CFL is the only professional league that I can think of where that's not readily accessible. Some guys you hear about, sometimes it's announced fully in, in detail, but most of the time we don't really hear it. And so Jamal Peters, I had thought initially had signed a two-year deal when he got to Toronto in 2021. And it turns out uh, that's not the case. He's still under contract. And I had to go back and look at the CFL free agent pages. And yeah, he wasn't on there. And so suddenly I realized that Toronto's actually got his rights if he wants to come back to play in the CFL. Not only that, it means they can probably make it happen under the salary cap too. And so if Jamal Peters does decide there's nothing waiting for him down in the NFL and he needs to uh, to come back to Toronto for one more go... Uh, it will be the Toronto Argonauts that he's that he's coming back to. And like I said, for the Argos, the timing could not be more perfect. Dave Naylor did a piece on TSN, and it's available on TSN Sports uh, Twitter page as well. If you want to see the full video, it's worth seeing. It's really good. It's on Chad Kelly and Jim Kelly. There were a few things that stood out to me in this video piece. And I want to talk about a few of them. I really want you to go watch it. Go watch it. Um, it, TSN did a great job with it. You you really need to see it. So I'm not going to spoil everything from it. There were a couple moments that I want to talk about. One was seeing the two of them together and really seeing Chad open up to talk about what it was like growing up with his uncle, Jim Kelly, as a legend. He referred to him in the piece as a superhero. And he admitted that as a kid, he was afraid to call him. And I think that might have surprised Jim. And Chad said, like, this is something he doesn't even know. Because the status, like Jim Kelly, we forget how high up Jim Kelly was in the football world. He was at the top of the football world. Four straight Super Bowl appearances. He, he was right there. It was, it was him. It was Montana. Uh, those, those were the names. And it, you can't imagine the shadow that this would have created. We've talked about it before, but seeing them both on camera together, sitting there on the couch, it was that much more real. That was one takeaway for me. The other, and this wasn't a takeaway, but it was just a reminder too. They, they talked briefly about Chad Kelly's punt pass kick records that he set having won the punt pass kick contest for, I think it was four years in a row, which is absurd. But I had forgotten about uh, that. I had mentioned it when Chad first signed with the Argos, but the fact that Chad, when he was in the 14 and 15 year old division for punt pass kick threw a football 70 yards. And this is not just, this is not a kid's football. At 14, 15, this is a full size uh, NFL style ball. But he threw 70 yards uh, in that 14 and 15 year old division, which again, bananas. Uh, And that's the Chad Kelly arm strength that you see. I love one of my favorite things, pregame at BMO Field, getting up there in my perch, a couple hours before kickoff. I'm usually there about two hours, two and a half hours before kickoff. Boris Beattie comes out early. He's fun to watch as he just launches kicks um, into into the shipyard. Chad Kelly loves to get out and throw long balls and just uh, go deep with that arm. And you see how far (laughs) that guy can throw. It's something special to watch. So that's an aside. The other thing that I took away from that video piece with Dave Naylor, Jim Kelly said, I wouldn't have sat down to do this piece with you if you'd asked me, a few years ago. And that really struck me. They talked in the piece about some of the trouble that Chad Kelly got into, some of the difficulty that he had, why he was passed over uh, in, in college at one point, why he moved from Clemson to, to Ole Miss, and then again got back to the top of the football world, why he was supposed to be a first or second round draft pick, and ended up going in the seventh round why denver moved on from why indianapolis moved on from they talked about that stuff very openly and jim kelly talked about how he'd had to have words with chad on many different occasions he's counting them on his on his fingers sort of jokingly after the fact but he's doing it because he believes chad's in a better place now and he says I wouldn't have done this video if this were a few years ago. If we were in that time, I wouldn't have done it. But you can see the confidence that Jim has in his nephew, in Chad, that he has straightened things out and he's got his life together and he's ready to go out and be the leader that everyone thought he could be a decade ago, that everyone thought he was going to turn into. And he's now ready to do it. And yes, it's a longer path to it. But seeing that confidence in Jim Kelly was big for me because Chad Kelly isn't someone I know well. I've talked to him in post-game interviews, but it's always been in an interview context. And, and Chad's well-trained. He knows he knows what to say in that context. It's been hard for me to get a read on him at all. He seemed way more mature to me. He seemed like a great leader in practice on the field, but I've made mistakes before on, on players like that. And so to hear it from Jim Kelly means a lot because he knows Chad obviously way better than anyone in the organization can, certainly way better than I can. And that gave me the confidence to know that what I'm seeing in the practice field is being backed up when the cameras aren't on him. So that was a huge takeaway for me. TSN released their top 50 players for 2023. This has been a nice tradition over the last few years. Uh, One that I was a little bit involved with this year, and that was kind of fun. Uh, I think, like I said before, the Argos aren't a team that are typically gonna do well in this. And it's not because of some rigged voting system. It is not because it's everyone favors the West. I, I promise you Argos fans, that is not why. TSN does a great job spreading out the voting for this process. They do a great job going through criteria so that is basically so that the list is legit and is something that they can be proud of. And ultimately, they are going, going to be things that at the end of the season don't work out. That's always going to happen. And not everyone's list is going to look exactly the same. But having this many people involved in the process makes it a pretty fair thing. And so Argos fans, when you look at your top 50 and you see that the Argos only have five players represented, and they might be the second best, might be the best uh, team in the CFL, the defending great cup champs after all, and they just signed two of the guys that appear on that list in, in Flo Romulade and Adarius Pickett. And so I know Argos fans are saying, what? You're saying we only had like three guys on that team that won the Grey Cup? And the thing is, I don't think they're that far off. Because like I said, the Argos are a great team. I think they're the second best team in the CFL. I think they're absolutely capable of, of going back to back and winning the Grey Cup again. They're just not star filled like some other teams are where they have one guy that's just way above everything else and then holes all over the roster and Toronto just doesn't have that they're so solid everywhere else almost everybody on the Argonauts starting roster is that close to being in the top 50 and I think that's a way better position to be in now on my personal list I don't mind saying I had seven I had seven Argonauts on my list there were a couple that that didn't make it but I, again, I had, I, had, I had more Blue Bombers on my list. I believe I had more Stampeders on my list than I did Argos as well. And so I don't think this is something that you can look at and take as a slight because I, I just don't read it that way. So the Argos that were on the list, I think are the five most obvious. So you've got Wynton McManus, who was the top Argo. Uh, TSN had him at nine overall. Flo Arimolade was at 19. Curly Gittens Jr. at 21. And Sean Oakman followed at 36, and then Adarius Pickett at 40. So those are your five Argos in the top 50. In terms of the rest of the East, uh, Hamilton uh, had seven to lead the East. Toronto and Ottawa both had five, and Montreal had only one, which I believe was William Stanback. And uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's just how it's gonna go. And again, I I don't take much issue with Hamilton having seven. They've got they've got a lot of really good players on that team. I think Toronto's a better team than Hamilton. I don't think Hamilton's that far behind. And I think Hamilton may have more stars, but I think Hamilton has more holes than the Argos do as well. If you get a chance. It's, it's a pretty, it, it, it's a really well done production. It's a pretty interesting list. You can find the list on TSN. You can find it on CFL.ca as well. And they're replaying that as well. So you can go back and watch uh, the CFL Top 50 on TSN if you want to see a re-airing of that broadcast. It is time for a new segment on our pod. And this is going to be a weekly one. Uh, I'm really disappointed I don't have JB here for this one because this works so much better when it's the two of us. Actually, our last two segments both do. So this new segment is called Put Me Down for 20. And I want to talk about how this is going to work. But before we dive into this segment, I want to take a moment to remind you that while gambling can be a fun way to enhance your sports viewing experience, it's important to do so responsibly. We encourage all of our listeners to set a budget, Monitor your gambling activities. Never bet more than you can afford to lose because any bet you're placing, you just have to, you have to assume it's going to lose. And if that is a, an issue for you, you can't do it. And if you uh, or someone you know has a, a gambling problem, is developing a problem with gambling, you can call the Ontario Problem Gambling Helpline 1-888-230-3505. This is obviously a a betting piece that we wanted to play around with this year. Uh, There's there's one that I really liked on um, one of the athletic podcasts. Hear hear that podcast growling. It's a Bengals podcast. And they did something this past season that I wanted to steal and have JB and I do. And so we're going to start the year off with 200 units. And every week we must place a wager for 20 units. And in weeks where the Argos are playing at least 10 of those units have to be an Argo related bet. And the other 10 can be anywhere around the CFL. And so this week being an Argo's buy, uh, we didn't have to uh, place an Argo's wager. We both decided to anyway. We both made a futures bet for this. So here are where our 20 units for the week are going. So for me, uh, I'm going to put Uh, 10 units on the BC Lions uh, on the money line uh, against the Calgary Stampeders. So that's plus 140. Um, So that gets me my 10 units back plus uh, uh, another 14 units. And my futures bet, I'm putting 10 units on Toronto to win the Grey Cup. They're at plus 600. I think that's really good value for a nine-team league. Actually, I think that's incredible value for a nine-team league. So we're not going to know the answer to that one for a while but that is my that is my futures bet. So 10 units, leaving me at the moment with 180 units. And so for JB, uh, he sent me his two wagers for this segment. And uh, they're as follows. So, For this week, he's got 10 units on Winnipeg and Hamilton to score more points in the second half than they do in the first half of that game. That seemed like a weird wager to me. He got that at plus 110, which seems like good value to me, though. So uh, that's for this week's Winnipeg-Hamilton game. More points for the combined total in the second half of that game than the first for plus 110. And he's put 10 units on Chad Kelly... Ending the season with the most passing yards in the CFL. Again, great odds on that. He's got plus 850 on that. Uh, and yeah, that's 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 a, a great bet. I probably would have taken that one over my Grey Cup bet if I'd seen it. I don't think Chad Kelly is going to... I don't actually think Chad Kelly ends up winning that. But I think he can. And at plus 850, uh, that is... Yeah, that's a good bet that, uh, that JB made. So I can't complain about that. We both got 180 units left in the bank. We'll see how those ones play. Our last segment uh, of the episode is our CFL picks, uh, which we brought back from last year. So uh, these are pretty straightforward. We're just picking up straight up winners here. Uh, for the first game this week, it's BC at Calgary. That's going to open up the CFL season. I've taken the BC Lions. JB has taken the Calgary Stampeders. I'll tell you why I like BC. I think Calgary's going to be good this year. I think BC is going to be slightly, slightly better. I think BC is going to get off to a faster start. Calgary's defense has had a lot of moving pieces on it. They've got new guys all over the place. I think Coach McSimmick. I think Vernon Adams, I think, all, you know, the skill receivers they have are going to take advantage of Calgary's defense in week one. If this were a few weeks from now, Calgary at home, Maybe I see this differently, but I think BC's in a good place. And we saw the, the stuff blow up this week with Kongbo. I don't know if you've if you haven't seen that at all. Three down nation did a great job of, of covering all that went on between Kongbo and his trade to Hamilton and the words that were exchanged afterwards. Uh, I think that actually will serve to unite that BC Lions team. I think they're going to be a pretty cohesive unit going to week one. The next game, Hamilton at Winnipeg. I think this is going to be really tight. I think Winnipeg is just better suited to winning this. And again, it's continuity. their Their team, their team's better than last year's team. They were already a good team. They're already uh, a a Grey Cup contender. They made it better. And so I think Hamilton's going to be hard pressed. It's in Winnipeg. I do think the Taipats play it tight, but. Again, they've got a lot of new parts. They've got a new quarterback. They're not going to be at the same level that Zach Kalaris is at. So that's Winnipeg for me, and it's Winnipeg for JB as well. Ottawa, Montreal. Uh, we're on different pages for this one, too. I've got Ottawa. JB's got Montreal. I I don't think Montreal is going to be a good football team this year. I could be wrong. I could be very, very wrong. They may may force me to eat my words late in the season. But as it stands now, I just don't see them winning a lot of games. I will not be picking Montreal until they prove me wrong at least a couple times. So I've got Ottawa this week. Even with their issues, I know Jeremiah Masoli is not going to start. It's probably going to be Nick Arbuckle. I I heard that the Javon Santos-Knox is banged up. He may not even be able to go... Ottawa is gonna be missing pieces. I think they're gonna be okay against Montreal. JB thinks Montreal is gonna do it. And then the last game of the week, Saskatchewan at Edmonton. I need Edmonton to prove it to me. I I do, I'm going against my own strategy here. Usually I prefer the team in week one with the most returning players at key positions. That would be Edmonton in this case. Edmonton has not went home in a long time. I know it's their guaranteed win night. I'm going to take Saskatchewan until Edmonton shows me otherwise, much like my thinking with Montreal. JB is on board with the Elks for this week. Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast, this bi-week episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Uh, We will be back getting you set for the Argos' first game of the 2023 regular season. Uh, It'll be uh, early next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, it'll drop. And JB will hopefully be recovered by then. I'm sure he will. He'll be back with me. So you don't want to miss that as we get you set for the Argos' regular season. Oh, I don't even know how to outro my show now without JB here. How do I even say this? For, For nobody else in particular, this is Ben Grant saying so long. (laughs) And may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.